Colossians 1. Open your scriptures and follow along with me. I'm going to start with verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ, in Christ Jesus, and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, just as in all the world also, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also, since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. And he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light." So, uh, previously in our studies, we've gone through verse 8. Uh, we looked at what Paul was, how Paul is writing these Colossians whom he's never seen, he's never met. He's gotten a report uh, about them from Epaphras. He mentions Epaphras here in chapter 1, verse 7. He mentions him also back in chapter 4. Epaphras was most likely the one who started the church there in Colossae, which was about 100 miles from Ephesus. Paul had spent... Um, three years in Ephesus, and from that time there, uh, people most likely traveled to Ephesus, or people that he had discipled in Ephesus traveled to Colossae, thus the church in Colossae got its start. Uh, it met in the home of Onesimus, um, uh, not Onesimus, met in the home of Philemon, forgive me there, um, and so we've gone through and looked at how he introduced the gospel to them, which is what he lays out in verses 3 through 8. And the next sentence that he writes is verses 9 through 12. That's all one sentence. Hopefully, we're going to get through verse 9 tonight. It is so full. So remember, Epaphras has traveled over a thousand miles from Colossae to Rome because he's concerned about this heresy. He's concerned about some dangers that the church in Colossae has been exposed to, some false teaching that's going on there. And he's expressed this to Paul. And so the result of that is that Paul's writing this letter back to the Colossians. Um, but before he begins teaching them or instructing them or correcting them or addressing the problem that's there, um, like I said last week, in verses 3 through 8, he reviews the gospel. And then in verses 9 through 12, he talks about prayer. So it's a curious thing here because, so on your notes, if you'll notice, he says, 
For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you. So, for this reason also. What reason? He says, we're praying for you. Timothy and I and those of us who are with me in Rome where I'm in prison, we're praying for you. But he says, for this reason we're praying for you. Well, if we look in verse 8, he says that Epaphras informed us of your love in the Spirit. So he's going, we're praying for you because also of your love in the Spirit. What's the also there for? What else did he already know about the Colossians? What else did he already tell us about them? Go back up to verse 4. We've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and by extension we've heard of the love which you have for all the saints. He compliments them. They're doing well. They have faith in Christ Jesus. They have love for all the saints. Epaphras makes it a point to say, oh, yes, and uh, he tells them about their love in the Spirit. They're doing very well. And the very next thing Paul says after referring, referring to how well they're doing is that he says, and we're praying for you. In fact, he says, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you. That's typically not what we do. By that I mean, we typically say, oh, who has prayer requests? And the implication is, is there something going on with, where someone is having a difficulty, a health difficulty, a relational difficulty, a physical difficulty, that we can pray for them because they're having some problem, they're in some need. Well, the Colossians are vulnerable to some false teaching, but they're doing very, very well spiritually. But, so in this section, he's talking about prayer. So we really can't go past this without considering prayer and what God has in mind with that. So a few things that, uh, that I thought would be pertinent. First of all, he talks about prayer here in Colossians in verse 3 of chapter 1. He says, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Again, down in verse 9, since the day we heard of it, since the day we heard of your faith, we've not ceased to pray for you. If you go back to chapter 4 of Colossians, in verse 2 he says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Verse 3, praying at the same time for us as well, that God may open up a door for us to speak the word of to speak forth the mystery of Christ. Um, and then over in verse... Uh, lost my place here. Over in verse 12 of chapter 4, he talks about Epaphras. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, send you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. So, for one, in this short letter, he talks about prayer four different times, four different places, things that are not actually related. It's, it's, a, it's a topic he's going to carry throughout the letter. So, it's, a, it's an issue to him in Colossians, but in the New Testament. Acts 6, verse 4. Um, this is going to be verse 4 through 7, I'll read. <clears throat> now, at this time... While the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. 
So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So at the very beginning of the church, the very, very beginning, early in Acts, the occasion that the apostles see that needs to happen is in the growth pangs of the church, these things need to take place, but they, the disciples, they, the apostles, need to devote themselves to focus on two things, prayer and preaching, if you will, prayer and the ministry of the word. In Hebrews 7, verse 25, speaking about Jesus, it says, Therefore he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. That verse literally is saying the Lord Jesus Christ always is praying for us. He is interceding for us. He's making appeal to God the Father in the throne room of heaven for us. The Lord Jesus is viewing prayer, even now in his resurrected condition, as exceedingly important that he is going to God the Father on our behalf. Philippians 4, verses uh, 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In Romans 8, verse 26 and, verse 26 and 27, he actually, Paul actually says, We do not know how to pray as we should, but the Holy Spirit takes our prayers and, if you will, translates them into the proper request presents them before God in the throne room of heaven so that our prayers, no matter the topic, no matter what our inclination is, the Holy Spirit presents them correctly to God. Jesus is involved in praying for us. The Holy Spirit represents us through our prayers to God in heaven. Prayer from the scriptures is something that is critical from God's standpoint. Um, I found this quote by John MacArthur. Uh, he was looking at prayer in the Old Testament. And so it's a paragraph here I'll read. Boaz prayed for Ruth. Daniel prayed for Israel. Ezekiel prayed for Israel. Isaiah prayed for the people of God. David prayed for Israel and the righteous in the land for his son, as, as we saw. Eli, Eli prayed for Hannah. Ezekiel prayed for Ezra. So many prayings for the people of God. Hezekiah praying for Judah. Job prayed for his friends. Moses prayed for Aaron and Miriam. Nehemiah prayed for Judah. Samuel prayed for Israel. Jesus prayed for Peter and the other disciples and those who even killed him. Paul prayed for Christians. Philemon prayed for Paul. Epaphras prayed for the Colossians. The Christians in Jerusalem prayed for Peter when he was in jail. So in this passage that we're looking at now, when Paul goes to the point here of saying, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, since the day we heard of your faith, we have not ceased 
to give, to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. This is not just saying, oh yeah, we're praying for you. Paul is pointing out, Paul is, before he addresses anything else with them, he's saying how, he's pointing out, he's representing, he's, he's exampling, if I can use it as a verb, how important it is that we be praying for one another. And this is Paul praying for the Colossians. Remember, he's never seen them. He's never seen them. They're not the movers and the shakers. It's not a huge church. It's a small gathering. Meets in a house. And Paul is saying, every time I pray, because that's what it means when he says, we pray without, we have not ceased to pray for you. It means every time we pray, we pray for you. Every time. What does he pray? So verse 9 again, for this reason also, because of your faith, since the day we heard of it, and even if you notice in the notes, I've got the words of it in italics. That's because in the original language, it's, those words are not there. They're implied by it, but they're not there. So he says, since the day we heard, and he's referring back to their salvation, since the day we heard that you had put your faith in Christ Jesus, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So we need to consider what he's referring to here when he says filled, Knowledge, his will, spiritual wisdom, and understanding. Because this is critical in going through the rest of the book of Colossians. So first of all, it says, pray that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will. The word filled there is the same Greek word that's used in Ephesians 5.18 where he says, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. He compares being filled with the Spirit to being drunk with wine. When a person is drunk, are they a different person? Yes and no. If I'm controlled by wine, I will behave differently. But I have the same birth date. I live in the same house. I've got the same fingerprints. So if I'm controlled by wine, on one hand, I'm not different at all. And on the other hand, I'm very different. And he's saying that's the effect of being filled with the Holy Spirit. The word literally means to be controlled, to be dominated by. That's the word he uses here. It's also translated all through the New Testament as fulfilled. When it says prophecy was fulfilled, it's this word. It means to be so filled up that there's no room for anything else. Bubby has a cup of coffee there. There's not room to put anything else in it if it's filled to the top. And so when he says we want, we want, we're praying that you will be filled with the knowledge of his will, this word he also uses three other times in Colossians. Go to chapter 1, verse 25. Verse 25 says, Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. Where, here where it's translated fully carry out is the word filled. That that task 
filled his life. It dominated what he did. To, to carry out the preaching of the Word of God controlled and dominated his life. Go to chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. For in him, in Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been filled. Although my translation says, in him you have been made complete, and he is head over all rule and authority. But it's the same Greek word, that when the Lord God invades our life, there's no room for anything else. This is what's true about us. It's... As, as we're going to get into the reason, the heresies behind this letter, there's reasons that Paul is using this word filled so many times. The last time he uses it in Colossians is uh, the next to last verse, chapter 4, verse 17. Remember Archippus? He's Philemon's son. He's a fellow worker. He's a, uh, a co-laborer with Paul. In verse 17, he says, Now say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. The word fulfill it there is the same word that he uses back here in our, in our verse in chapter 1, filled with the knowledge of God. It literally means to be dominated by it, to be so controlled by it that uh, it determines everything we do. Now, this leads to a question. He says that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. God's will. What is God's will? A common question. And a lot of times we think of God's will as something that he hides or that he makes difficult to find or the only people who acquire it, the only people who come across God's will for their life are those who've reached a certain level of maturity or that they've punched the right spiritual buttons on the keyboard, so to speak. That's illogical. Makes absolutely no sense whatsoever for a father to hide his will from his children. None of us parents in here have hidden our wills from our children. We tend to express our wills to our children fairly often by saying, do this, don't do that. What are you doing? You know better than that. There was a time, uh, oh my goodness, 20 plus years ago, um, before Nathaniel was born, we lived in Chantilly. Stephen, our third, was a toddler. It was a Saturday. It was a gorgeous spring afternoon. And so Jonathan and Andrew and Stephen and I were playing in our driveway. Our house had a long pipe stem driveway. We lived on a cul-de-sac. It was a great place to play. And we were out there chasing one another and playing tag. And we're about 20 yards or so from the cul-de-sac. And Stephen, again, little toddler, starts running away from me towards the cul-de-sac because we're playing. You know, I'm going to get you, I'm going to get you. And he takes off and I say, Stephen, come back here because I don't want him running into the street. Well, he thinks it's part of the game. He laughs louder and runs harder. I say, no, Stephen, come back here. Stay up here with us. He keeps going. He didn't know what my will was. He didn't understand that, no, I wasn't just playing around when I said, no, 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 Stephen, come back here. He just kept running. You know what I did not do? 
I didn't say, oh, my dear son, I hope you figure out before you get into the cul-de-sac that my will is not that you run into the street because you might get run over by the guy that drives a Jeep and does donuts in the cul-de-sac. No. When I realized he didn't understand what I wanted, because his comprehending my will was my responsibility, I chased him down, scooped him up, brought him back to where we were playing with the other boys, plopped him down, and we kept playing. Likewise, our God and Father in heaven is responsible for us understanding what his will for our lives are. It's not something we have to find and that he's going to make difficult for us to discover. It's not. One of the reasons I know this for sure is because um, in Luke 22, verse 42, Jesus said, Father, if possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. In the Lord's Prayer, remember how that goes? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In John, there's three places, 434, five, chapter 5, verse 30, and chapter 6, verse 38, where Jesus said, repeated almost exactly verbatim every time he says, I came to do the will of him who sent me. In Hosea 4, chapter 6, uh, we'll get there in a little bit. Let me stay with God's will. We have the will of God in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove, that you may demonstrate, not discover, but that you may demonstrate what the will of God is. And by the way, the will of God is good and acceptable and perfect. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3, it says directly, this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality and know how to possess your own wife. He makes it very clear what his will is there. Also in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, he says, In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. God's will is not obscure. I mean, we can literally find that phrase in numerous scriptures. Another one, 1 Peter 4, verse 19. Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. So it is God's will that we can find looking through the scriptures. Literally, the phrase is there, the will of God, God's will. But also, all I have to do is open the scripture and go, all right, I'm a husband. What are the commands from scripture to me as a husband? Whatever those commands are, that's God's will for my life. If I'm a son, if I'm a daughter, if I were a wife, 
the Lord gives instruction in Scripture to us in the different roles that we have in life where He reveals clearly what His will is. We tend to think His will is something, oh, do we buy this house? Do I go to this college? Do I spend this money? Do I fill in the blank? In James it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. God's will is not hidden. He's not stingy about it. It is his responsibility that if we don't know what he wants and we're about to do something that he doesn't want, it is his responsibility to inform us of it. So, back to verse uh, verse 9. Since we heard it, we've not ceased to pray that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will. The word knowledge, it's the knowledge of his will. It means, it's the word epignosis. He uses the word knowledge all the way through Colossians. He uses it twice right here, once in verse 9. Look at verse 10. So that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. In chapter 2, verse 2, he says, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance and understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ himself. And also, um, that's the last time he uses the word in Colossians. But it's another thing that he's going to track all the way through Colossians because our walking with God is not an emotional experience. It's not that emotions are bad or improper, but our walk with the Lord is based upon knowledge, not mindlessness, not merely, oh, I felt like I worshipped today. Well, maybe I didn't feel like I worshipped today, but that didn't mean I didn't worship. Because God's basis for dealing with us is through knowledge. Paul prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. In Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, I had mentioned this earlier, but it was too soon. But in Hosea 4, verse 6, he says, My people uh, are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Turn to Psalm 95. This one is worth all of us looking at. Psalm 95, verse 10. Now, let's start with verse 9. Psalm 95, verse 9 and 10. When your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who err in their heart because they do not know my ways. Therefore, I swore in my anger that they will not enter into my rest. In our walk with Christ, we make errors, we make mistakes when we do not know his ways. Therefore, the opposite is true. The more I know and understand God's ways, the more correctly, the more properly, I will walk and comport myself. So he prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will 
Um, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So wisdom, if you will, a short definition, the ability to make principles out of God's truth. Because I can't open my Bible and find anything that talks about the speed limit. But I can go in my Bible and find principles about obeying the civil magistrate. And it's the government, it's the civil magistrate that's put these speed limit signs up and the do not park signs and the no turn, no turn on red signs and the uh, stop when the, the light is red. So there are principles in the scripture that wisdom helps me take those truths in the scripture and turn them into principles for how to live now. He says that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The word understanding literally means running together. It carries the idea of these truths and these principles that we have with Scripture. carries the idea of running, running them together and applying them in my life. So before Paul talks to the Colossians about the problems and the danger that they are in, <clears throat> pardon me, they're in Colossae because of these false teachers, he talks to them about what has already happened to them and for them because of God's will, because of their prayers for them, and that this is what he is praying for them. And it, it occurred to me, he's not praying something where we can say, oh yeah, I can see God answered that prayer. Paul's assuming God will answer this prayer. It's his assumption it's his request of God, but he knows what to ask for the Colossians. And he does this before going into any of the problems and issues going on there. So this is the petition. I pray that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's the petition. The purpose of his petition is what we'll get to next week, which is going to be verses 10 through 12. The purpose, that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And there's so much in those three verses that tonight was set up for addressing them. This is his petition. I'm praying that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will. And now he's actually revealing his will because here's the purpose of his prayer, the purpose of his position. So we have indirectly God revealing his will for us in verses 10, 11, and 12 that we'll look at next week. So thoughts, insights, questions. Yes, Bubby. Okay. Uh, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, 
my King James Version reverses that. Will in all wisdom and security.